We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, the book of Romans and the 15th chapter. I will be reading and preaching this morning on verses 22 through 33 of Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 33 of Romans chapter 15, as we get closer to the end of this epistle. And I encourage you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 22 this morning. Here Paul writes, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I am no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them that which has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this time together in your word this morning. We would ask now for the help and the leading of your Holy Spirit to help us to understand this text of Scripture in its historical context and to make application to our own lives today. And we ask you to do that work this morning, which only you can do to open our eyes, to grant us understanding, and to transform our thinking in such a way that we bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask these things this morning in his name. Amen. Brethren, here in our text this morning, Paul continues to share with the saints in Rome some convictions and concerns that he had as a minister of the gospel and as an apostle to the Gentiles. And what Paul has been writing here in chapter 15 has not only been personal in nature, but it has also been very insightful regarding those things that motivated Paul and kept him steadily on course, the course that had been established for him by God. For example, back in verses 14 through 21 of this chapter, which we examined last Sunday, Paul did not hesitate to express to the believers in Rome his satisfaction, his satisfaction with what the Holy Spirit had been accomplishing within them and how he felt confident that they were not only knowledgeable of the things of God, but they were fully capable of ministering, of admonishing one another in those areas that were required 
for their growth in grace. And no doubt, Paul's words of satisfaction and praise for what the Spirit had been doing within them must have been a source of spiritual encouragement to the Roman Christians. For while we all desire the praise of God over the praise of men, it is still a great blessing to hear from others how much they have been encouraged by our growth in grace. Paul wanted these believers to know how much he had been encouraged by their growth in grace. And Paul made it clear back in verse 14, especially how eager he was to embrace and receive them as spiritual brothers and how willing he was to believe the very best about them, to believe the best about them, which is a courtesy that every true Christian should extend to another Christian, to believe the best about them. Furthermore, we saw last Sunday, and especially as we examined verses 16 and 17, that Paul expressed his own hopes as a minister and as an apostle as well. In fact, it's almost as if Paul opens his heart here and, and reveals to us his hope and his heart. And while was, Paul was delighted in what the Spirit was doing within the Roman Christians, he also had a greater hope of presenting them to God as an offering that would be acceptable and, and pleasing to God. In fact, the Apostle Paul referred to his service to God as priestly service. In fact, you'll recall we talked about that briefly last week. Paul saw himself as a priest before God, and the offering that he was giving to God was the Roman church. And one of the reasons he labored so diligently was his hope that he could present the saints in Rome as a spotless offering, one that was sanctified by the Holy Spirit. For Paul knew that Christ deserved that kind of gift. And he was motivated to labor towards that end. And then lastly, by way of review of what we covered last week, Paul expressed no shame in revealing what he took great pride in, and that was the work of Christ within him, and what his true spiritual ambition was. And his one true spiritual ambition was to preach Christ where Christ had not yet been named. For Paul's calling was not to build on other men's foundations, but to establish new churches on the foundation of the gospel. And it was in obedience to this ambition, to this calling that Paul traveled all throughout the regions of the Gentiles. So Paul didn't sense a need to reveal, or I should say to conceal his heart, or to hold back his hope for the success of the gospel among the Gentiles, but rather Paul was openly encouraged to share his heart because of what he had seen among the Gentiles and by what he had heard about the saints who were meeting in Rome. For these things were clear evidences of the faithfulness of God and of the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. And yet while telling these saints in Rome what his heart and his hopes were, and although it was a helpful thing to do, Paul also sensed that it was wise to share with them also why he had been absent from them, why he had been absent from them, and what his desires were in regards to seeing them 
face to face. For remember, Paul has not seen these believers in the flesh. He is forming a relationship with them, a spiritual relationship, a, a loving bond between them. And he knew that there was no substitute for personal contact. It was great to write them, to pray for them, to have them in mind, but there was no substitute for personal contact. And that's really what he longed for. And therefore, here in our sermon text this morning, now we're getting to our text this morning, in verses 22 through 33, Paul acknowledges here openly what had been so obvious to many so far, and that was the fact that he had not yet been there. He had not yet ministered among them face to face. And Paul reveals how he truly hoped to change that situation if he could. For notice what Paul writes here in verses 22 through 24 of Romans chapter 15. Here Paul writes, This is the reason I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... And I have since longed for many years to come to you. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. And let's observe several things that Paul mentions here that not only highlight what Paul had to endure, what Paul had to wait upon, but they also highlight what we must learn to endure ourselves if we're going to succeed in the process of ministering the gospel. First, I want us to notice here that Paul mentions that he had often been hindered. He had often been hindered. For Paul's labors, which he was deeply committed to, which required much of him, greatly hindered him. Paul is not saying here in verse 22 these things by way of excuse. He's not saying these things by way of avoidance or neglect. But rather, Paul is speaking here of being hindered providentially, of being hindered in ways that were beyond his personal control. That's what he's saying here. I have been hindered in many ways, oftentimes, by situations that are beyond my control, situations that fall within the realm of God's providential rule of being hindered in a sense that his plans had to bow down, as it were, to the sovereign plan of Almighty God. And so when Paul states here, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered in coming to you, he is not speaking as one who should have gone but did not. He's not speaking as one who was feeling guilty of duties that he had but he didn't fulfill, but he is speaking as one who would have gone who would have gladly gone if providence had allowed it. But he's also speaking here as one who's content to do God's will in the matter. One who's content to do God's will in the matter. And this says something about how the Apostle Paul viewed things and how he interpreted providential hindrances. For Paul was not so set upon his own ministerial plans that he was devastated when they failed to be achieved. He was not so set on his own ministerial plans that he was devastated when they failed to be achieved, but rather Paul was more concerned that the will of God should be accomplished. That's how you and I should live as well. 
that the will of God should be accomplished. He's more concerned about ensuring that things occurred exactly as God willed them, not as he hoped or planned them to be. In fact, in many ways, the, the Apostle Paul ordered his life and ministry around Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, which admonishes people, we read it this morning, Roy read it for us this morning, to trust in the Lord, not leaning or relying upon our own understanding, but in all ways acknowledging Him and knowing that He, the Lord, will make our path straight. Paul recognized that in making his way straight, the Lord had the sovereign right, the Lord had the prerogative to overrule Paul's plans and to bring about the result that the Lord ordained. And no doubt over the years, what Paul had planned for had been hindered from taking place. But Paul fully understood that from the perspective of God's own plan, from the perspective of the divine decree, nothing had been hindered or thwarted or delayed at all. Rather, all things proceeded, all things were fulfilled exactly as God has decreed them. All things had occurred in God's own time. And therefore, what can be perceived as hindrances to us as the servants of God are not hindrances at all. Think about that. Think about what I've been saying. What often is perceived as hindrances by us as the servants of God are not hindrances at all, but rather they are the unfolding plan of God, which is often unknown to us until God chooses to reveal them to us in space and time or in the actual circumstances that we face throughout the course of our lives and ministries. So Paul mentions first here in verse 22, our need to see that what often appears as hindrances are really opportunities to trust that God is in control. Let me repeat that. What often appears as hindrances are opportunities for us to trust that God is in control and that he may be leading us in a completely different way than we first planned, than we first thought. And that so often happens, if you think about it, believer, in your life. Second, Paul mentions here in verse 23 that what may have appeared to be a bad thing, the fact that there was no longer room for Paul to work in these regions, actually turned out in the providence of God to be a, a very good thing. And that's another thing that we need to understand about God's providence. Things that often appear to us to be very bad from a human standpoint often turn to our good. They always turn to our good, whether we realize them or not. And why? Because Paul gave the reason here in this text, and that is that God was at work. Paul gave the opportunity, or excuse me, this, uh, this event gave Paul the opportunity to express the fact that his longing to be with him had never waned. Rather, it continued to be strong. For, for Paul writes, I have longed for many years to come to you. And again, Paul would not be able to make this statement in this context unless things had not gone as he had originally planned. And no doubt being able to express his long-standing desire to see the saints in Rome only endeared Paul to them even more. Think about it. 
As the Romans read these words, they were no doubt encouraged to hear that Paul would say such a thing in regards to them, that he had not forgotten them, that they were still close to his heart. For if Paul had longed to see them for years and his desires to do so were still strong, they could be certain that Paul's desire for their good was genuine. They could be certain that it was not to be questioned, for who could question the love of one who had persisted for so long? That's the idea here. Who could question the love of one who had persisted in longing for them for so long? So the fact that Paul had the opportunity here to express his longing to see them only added to Paul's credibility. It only added to his ability to convince them of his love and of his concern for them because these believers needed to know that in his heart, Paul still longed to be with them. And yet not only did Paul explain why he had been hindered from a human perspective from seeing them, but Paul also shares here in verse 24, notice this, his hopes to visit them in the future and to enjoy some good fellowship with them. That's his goal, to enjoy some good fellowship with you. For Paul writes here, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company, your face-to-face -face fellowship for a while. Paul's reference here to his hope to go to Spain is encouraging because it shows that although Paul had been faced and experienced hindrances throughout his ministry, he had not been discouraged by those hindrances. But rather, Paul continued to possess genuine hope for the forward progress of the gospel. And so, although Paul has faced many hindrances, he still wants to go forward. He, he still wants to go to Spain. His hopes were not small hopes, based on small expectations, but Paul's hopes were bold hopes, enlivened by his thriving faith in Jesus Christ. For in mentioning his plans to go to Spain, Paul expresses bold intentions to minister in Spain where the gospel had never been heard before and where he would undoubtedly encounter many more obstacles. Many more obstacles lied ahead. In fact, most Bible historians believe that Paul never made it to Spain and that his plan simply did not materialize as Paul had hoped. And yet this doesn't mean that Paul was wrong in hoping to go there and hoping to go there boldly for his hope was mature enough to yield to the sovereign will of God in all things. And yet, brethren, what is noteworthy, what I think is exciting to read is, is Paul's firm resolve that as he went, he would most surely stop in passing and see them. For Paul was confident of two things. He was confident that they would help him continue in his journey. He was confident of their heart towards him, that they loved him and were committed to him and would help him along the way. And then secondly, he was confident that they would show him their kindness and their hospitality. He doesn't even wonder whether or not they would invite Paul into their company or not. He just assumes it. He knows that they would. For Paul expresses here at the end of verse 24 that he fully expected that he would enjoy their company, not just be welcomed by them, but he would have a great time. 
in the Lord. He would enjoy their company. He would be tremendously thrilled and satisfied with the fellowship as long as he was there, which likely would not be for long. So Paul looked forward to fellowshipping with the saints in Rome, and he hoped that his anticipated journey to Spain would, would provide that open door. So again, follow the progression here. Many hindrances, but Paul's not discouraged. He continues to hope boldly, and he sees that these hindrances now provide an opportunity for something else, a bold mission to Spain where he is confident that he will meet warm Christian fellowship and enjoy his time there. Paul is careful not to put off serving in the present, however, for his desired journey that he's been talking about. For Paul also pursued other things as well. Paul is, is wanting to be useful in Spain. He's wanting to be useful in Rome, but he also has another thing that he's being useful with right now. He's a busy man. He's led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is guiding him. In fact, Paul mentions here in verses 25 through 29 that project, that present project that the Spirit of God had brought to him that not only kept him engaged in meeting the needs of God's people back in Judea and Jerusalem, but which also provided Paul with a golden opportunity to teach the Gentiles a lesson about generosity towards their brethren, which would help to build unity between them. So Paul's given here an opportunity to build unity between the Jews and the Gentiles, and to also teach the Gentiles a lesson about generosity, and also teach the Jews a lesson about receiving. There's a lot going on there, right? Paul's a busy man. God is working in powerful ways. When Paul, maybe if he had allowed himself to be discouraged, might have thought that God was not working at all, that God is working in all of these ways, just as he is working in all the ways of our lives, in all the details of our lives. Paul writes here in our text, 25 through 29, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia, and this is references not just to a city, but to Christian churches within these areas, have been pleased to make some contribution. The, the contribution we know from other places in Scripture was financial, to make some contribution to the poor among the saints who are at Jerusalem, for they are pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So here Paul reveals that his present duty had come about not in response to something that he had done, but in response to what God had done in the lives of many of the Gentile believers. For when they came to Christ, those in Macedonia and Achaia came to Christ, they realized by the work of the Spirit within them that they were indebted to the Jews. They were indebted for what they had heard by way of the gospel, and they wanted to be a blessing to them in turn by sharing their resources. And the reason that Paul mentions this here in verse 25 through 29 
is not to toot his own horn, not, not to boast in his usefulness or in what he had managed to coordinate in terms of giving among the churches. But Paul stresses this to point out that the Spirit of God had changed hearts. Paul is saying here, I'm going on another mission directed by the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God has changed the hearts of others. He has directed them to give, and now he is directing me to deliver it. Paul takes no credit for anything that transpires here, but rather he, he simply relates to the saints in Rome what the Lord had given him to do, which was gather the collections and to deliver them. In fact, rather than focusing on what could happen when he got to Jerusalem with these contributions, Paul states here in essence in verse 29, I can't wait to complete my mission soon so that I can come to you. I can't wait to complete my mission soon so I can come to you because I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. That's an amazing statement. I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ or with Christ's full blessing. And no doubt to have the blessing of Christ on their visit with one another would be something to anticipate, would be something to greatly enjoy, rejoice in. So Paul's message to his readers here towards the end of Romans chapter 15 was one of contentment, one of contentment. Paul is not discontented with God's leading in his life. It's one of optimism. Paul is not negative. He is not pessimistic about the future. His current circumstances are his future circumstances. On one hand, Paul had been hindered from seeing them, but he was content to trust God for the reasons he was hindered. He was not discouraged. On the other hand, Paul was optimistic in the way that he expressed his continued love for them and in his hopes that he would visit them soon en route to Spain. Where Paul was not anxious, hear me, he was not anxious about the direction that the Lord was leading him in. Nor should we, by the way, be anxious about the direction that the Lord is leading us in. He knows where he's leading. He bids us to trust him in that leadership. Nor is he worried about the timing. He was not worried about the timing. Yes, he wanted to be there sooner. Yes, he had been hindered. But he trusted in the Lord's timing. And you and I can do the same in our lives as well. There are things that all of us would like to see happen. We've been waiting for quite some time, but that waiting is not an indication of God's displeasure. It's not a reason to be anxious or worried. It's an opportunity to trust, to trust. Paul was looking forward to sharing the joy that the poor in Jerusalem would display when he delivered that monetary gift from the Gentile churches. And he was also anticipating another experience of joy when his mission of mercy to Jerusalem had been completed and he finally got to visit with the saints in Rome. So if you really look at this carefully, if we analyze this very carefully this morning, Paul is saying, I have double joy awaiting me. I'm going forward confident that there's double joy ahead. There's joy when the Jewish Christians receive the gift from their Gentiles for their Gentile brethren, which I get the pleasure of delivering. And there's joy 
when I meet with the Roman saints in my journey to Spain after I've completed this mission. Therefore, rather than being discouraged by delays, rather than being anxious about the unknown, Paul possessed the same joy and hope in believing that he asked the Holy Spirit to give these Christians back in chapter 14 and verse 13. Remember that? Back in verse 13 of Romans chapter 14, Paul prayed that God, the God of hope, would, would give them joy and hope in believing. Paul already possesses this joy himself. No doubt, brethren, as I stated earlier in this sermon, there are some spiritual lessons and applications for us to grasp here. For while our own paths may be hindered in various ways, and maybe in ways that we didn't anticipate and even think about before now, we can be absolutely confident, as the Apostle Paul was, that the things that are hindering us are not hindering God. The things that are hindering us are not hindering God, for God's plans and purposes are, are never hindered. And what we often perceive as hindrances to us, as I said before, is just the unfolding of God's wiser and better plans. In fact, because of our own weaknesses and limited perspective, we tend to see things that cause delays. We, we tend to th see things that cause us to stop and pause as, as negative things, don't we? And yet the reality is we can trust God to work things out as He wills. We can trust God to supply us with joy and hope and believing as we need it at the time that God has appointed for it. So Paul possessed joy and hope in the same way that he admonished the Roman saints to possess it, because Paul is a good example of the spiritual principles that are at work here in this passage. That's, that's really kind of what's amazing from, from my perspective as I look at this text. Paul is, is not merely sending them a message about what they should do that's divorced from his own life. As we read the text, we see that Paul is living out what he's telling them to do. He is an example to them as he's giving them this guidance and this admonishment. Brethren, I know that you and I can be good examples to other believers also if we will appropriate and apply the spiritual principles that are found here in this letter. Then lastly, not only did Paul express his joy and hope in believing, but Paul also showed no hesitation in asking the saints in Rome to pray for him. To pray for him. You would get a sense, given his hope and joy, that Paul feels that he has all things that he needs and yet, in humility and honesty, Paul says, I need you to pray for me. I need you to intercede for me, given the kinds of opposition that I have often encountered in my ministry. Notice what Paul writes here in verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. These words from Paul are, are not only instructive, but they give us a sense 
of the intensity that Paul is asking us to place in the prayers that we render for others. Paul asked these believers to strive together with him in prayer. And this expression, strive together with him in prayer, carries the idea of joining Paul in his struggles. Joining Paul in his struggles. And so there's a very real sense here that what Paul is asking them to do is to join with him in wrestling in prayer. To join with him in wrestling against the forces of evil that would oppose his progress. For Paul knew that as Christians strive together in united prayer, as Christian people wrestle together against evil in believing prayer, God is pleased to enable them to prevail. So notice Paul doesn't think that he can go there in his own energy. He does not think that his own prayers are sufficient. He pleads, he appeals to the Roman Christians to pray with him and for him and along with him in this matter. Excuse me for that interruption there. Let us note also further in verses 31 and 32 that Paul shares with them some specific requests. First, regarding his ministry in Jerusalem, and then secondly, regarding his ministry to the Romans. With respect to the Jews, Paul asks for protection. With respect to the Jews, Paul asks for protection, that I may, may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And then he asks here for a positive reception by the saints living in Rome, that my service, or excuse me, living in Jerusalem, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, for Paul needed God's intervention for both. And so, in essence, what Paul is saying is, pray for me because there are obstacles in Jerusalem and there are blessings in Jerusalem. Pray for me that God will protect me against the unbelievers who want to oppose me. Pray also that I would be positively received by the Jews who will be receiving this gift. You might ask, why would Paul pray for a positive reception by the Jews for the gift? Well, where's the gift coming from? It's coming from the Gentiles. What are relationships like between the Jews and the Gentiles in this day? Not always good. So Paul asks here that the Jews, that their hearts would be softened, that they would receive positively the generosity that is expressed by the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia, and that they would rejoice and see that these things are from God as well. Again, Paul is asking for God's intervention in both areas. Then, with regard to his ministry to the saints in Rome, Paul requests here in verses 32 and 33 of Romans 15 that these readers pray that by God's will, Paul might come to them with joy and be refreshed in their company and that the God of peace would be with them all. Amen. For Paul longed not merely for an audience with these believers, but an atmosphere of the Spirit's power and presence. Let me repeat that. Paul longed not just for an audience with these believers, but for an atmosphere of the Spirit's presence and power. So what Paul is saying here is, I don't merely just want to enter into your presence and talk with you and have a formal meeting and discussion, but 
I want us to come together in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and be blessed together when we meet. I want there to be a time of fellowship together, which we would not have experienced any other way but by the Spirit, when we would only be refreshed because of the Holy Spirit's power and work among us. And brethren, that's what all of us should desire to be a part of. If you just think about this for a moment, this is what all of us should desire to be a part of, a believing brotherhood where all the saints strive together in prayer and fellowship and in the steadfast hope that God will refresh us and bring us into the fullness of the blessing of Jesus Christ. Think about what Paul is asking for. Think about what Paul is appealing to the Roman Christians to pray for, the kind of reception there should be when they all gather together, the kind of fellowship that they should enjoy, the kind of atmosphere that should exist. And I ask you, is this not what we would desire as well? Of course, it's only possible if we're striving together in prayer, right? If we're wrestling and working together in prayer to God, asking for God's blessing, asking for God to deliver us from opposition, asking for God to lead us faithfully. This is what all of us desire, what Paul is asking these believers to pray for in this last verse, that all of us would be brought into the fullness of the blessing of Christ the fullness of the blessing of Christ. May God be pleased to grant us here at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church in Bonham what, what Paul labored for, what Paul interceded for, what Paul had the heart to share with the people here within our text. Brethren, as we move into Romans chapter 16 next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll begin to discuss and to consider the final remarks of the Apostle Paul as he greets various people within the church, as he shares various admonishments, and as he ends with a final doxology. But let's not miss the importance of this section of Romans chapter 15. We're seeing the heart of the Apostle Paul. We're seeing the heart of a true minister of the gospel a true apostle to the Gentiles. We're seeing his hope. We're seeing his motivation. We're learning from that. But we're also seeing the kind of environment that Paul wanted God to create as he met with these believers face to face. A rich spiritual environment full of love and joy and hope and appreciation, mutual love for one another. May God give us all those things here as we carry out the work that God has given us. Will there be hindrances? Yes. There will be many. Will there be obstacles for us in the days ahead? Yes, there will be many. But we can have hope and joy that God is in control, amen, that his providence is trustworthy that God is unfolding things in his time and in his way, and that if we're simply faithful to obey in the present, that's all we have right now in that sense, the present to obey. We should not worry or be anxious about the future. Those things are in God's hand. 
Those things will unfold in his time. He will give the grace for the moment. But for the present, let us be busy, as Paul was busy, doing good, loving one another, serving Christ, that we might all experience the fullness of Christ's blessing. May God grant that to us today. In Christ's name, let's pray. Our God and Father, I thank you this morning for your help and your assistance. I thank you this morning for this assembly of your people who have come to hear your word. And Lord, I just pray that through what has been said today, that we would hear something that would resonate with us, that we would hear something that the Spirit of God might use in a powerful way, impress upon our consciences, impress upon our lives that we should do. And and help us, Lord, not to be discouraged by hindrances, by obstacles or setbacks. Help us to know that you have all things under control, that you are unfolding all things according to your time and your purpose, and that we can trust you to do what is well. And in the meantime, that we can be hopeful, that we can be optimistic, and that we can desire to be useful. Help us to be useful in these days. Help us to trust you, to not be discouraged, to not be dismayed, to not be discontented, but to know that you are with us and guiding us, that we have all that we need in Jesus Christ, and that we have the hope of even greater fellowship to come. Fellowship with one another here and fellowship with other Christians and other churches, and ultimately the greatest...